Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I am Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur and Scott, espresso, no sugar. See, uh, is that because you're sweet enough, Cam? That's right. That's right. I'm as sweet as Jason Statham. Mm, very sweet, very sweet. Too sweet, one might say. And speaking of twos, and speaking of sequels, and speaking of returns, we have a very special guest joining us this week for his second time on the show. It is Brendan from the What Were They Thinking podcast. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I am doing uh, quite well. And boy, what a twosome of movies uh, <laughs> I've been on for on this podcast. <laughs> Didn't think we could follow up the last one, but boy, howdy. It occurred to me, actually, and this was not planned, mm. but that both times you've been on, you've been tackling Hitman movies and not classic spy movies. And, I mean, remakes of good ones, right? Like, this is like, oh, this is a sequel to a remake of, like, a supposedly better one. So it's kind of a, a, a trend as well. Yeah, is this progress when you're in the sequel to the remake, or should you be on the remake? Like, are you spiraling downwards at this point? I don't know, but now we got to do, like, what, uh, Wicker Man 3. Does that exist? <laughs> mm, okay, okay. It has to be the straight-to-video sequel, I think, at this point. And it would have to be a spy thriller. Surely that's it's Cats and Dogs 3, isn't it? That's like Cats and Dogs 3, if we're talking <laughs> like straight-to-video. Yeah. There's a third one? There is. Uh, yeah. Pause Unite. Oh, wow. Was, even after Kitty Galore got revenge, there was another movie that needed to be made. I'm impressed. They had a story to tell. They did. <laughs> they had a story. I think it's so, so many. lame, though. They had Revenge of Kitty Galore, which is like kind of like a spyish title. You go, okay, I don't know how the movie is, but kind of a cute title. And then they follow it with Paws Unite. And I'm like, really? That's all you had? No puns? No nothing? Yeah, there's no, there's no like pun there, no, is it? No, that's they fired their, uh, their subtitle guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, judging by the budget of the third one, they let they laid a lot of people off. To be fair, why wouldn't you call it like Thunderbark? Oh, oh, save that for the episode, Cam. That's gold. <laughs> I'll have another one for the episode. Okay, okay. I, I think before we dive into the film, we kind of set it up already. I mean, Brenda, just from yourself, what's been going on since your last visit? What have you and the podcast been up to? Uh you know, same old, same old. Watching, uh, watching some terrible questionable movies you guys have actually since uh since i've been on last you guys were actually made an appearance to talk about i'm sure what now is one of your favorite uh science fiction movies of all time <laughs> uh replicas starring keanu reeves it was actually on tv here the other day and i was oh. tempted to put it back on <laughs> and then you said oh wait that movie's terrible the plot i remembered the plot and i thought no i better do something else is that one of the most forgotten sci-fi movies of its decade I mean, a Thomas Middleditch would like to think so. <laughs> Wait, he was in that? <laughs> that poor guy gets abused. Remember, he's like Keanu's buddy, and he keeps mm, getting like, right. you, you don't mind uh, covering up my family's murders, do you? <laughs> That's right. It's all coming back to me. Thanks for that. Um, but, you know, at the time of recording, what have been some of the movies you've tackled lately on the show? Oh, boy. Um, well, we just recently talked about uh, Coneheads, uh, oh. the infamous 
infamous SNL film, although I guess quite a few of them are infamous, but uh, we talked about uh, Mac and Me. Actually, we did a bit of an alien double feature. I actually surprised it took like seven years to get to Mac and Me, which <laughs> you'd think that would be an early one, but... Well, you know, it's like Scott and I, there's certain ones like Spy Who Came In From The Cold or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. You don't want to burn through all the classics right up front. You want to kind of pace right. them out over the course of your podcast run. And Mac and Me, I mean, you release that as episode one, who's coming back? Right. Mac and Me is like the shining altar that you need to like push a little further down the road. And that is why I will say again, we will never, ever, 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 ever cover the room. It's been said. All Everything's been said. It's done. Would you do like the disaster artist as like a meta commentary on the whole thing? Um, I don't. Well, I kind of like that movie, so I think maybe it be, might be difficult to to get too far into it. But I mean, we also talked about They Live, and I genuinely like that movie. But that's a situation where, at the if you look into what the actual reaction was at the time, not loved mm. by anyone really. So. Yeah. So just, yeah, a lot of, uh, we just had our listeners choice month recently. Um, we unfortunately had to watch music, uh, Sia's oh, movie. Okay. Yeah, oh. yeah. Right. Yeah. Just it's, it's bad when it's like a bad movie, but it's also like uncomfortable to watch. Like if there's just, she wasn't the one to make that movie. I don't think. <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember that one was quite notorious. It was like nominated for awards, like the golden globes or something. But no one had seen it. Yeah, it was nominated for like, yeah, it was nominated for a Golden Globe for like Kate Hudson's performance, and everyone was like, "Are you sure? Like, not that she's the problem, but really? Like, um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a good example of casting can sometimes destroy your movie, uh, especially when you're dealing with a certain issue. Maybe don't cast certain people." <laughs> Well, there's another film recently I'm losing the name of, and maybe you guys will fill me in, but it was like based on a musical, and they got the guy who played the character in the musical to play it in the film, but he's like 20 years older than oh, he should be. Oh, Evan, what the... Evan Hansen? Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. Mm. And, oh, isn't it? And, like, I haven't seen it. I've actually earmarked it a few times <laughs> possible, as a possible episode, but isn't doesn't he look like 40, Yes. Too? Yeah. Yeah, they de-aged him, but it still looks bad. They de- no, they did. They CGI de-aged him. Yeah, did they? No, or or his, or his prosthetics, but they've done a little work on him to make wow. him look younger. I just kind of assumed they did the like uh, Aaron Paul in Better Call Saul, where it's like clearly like a forty-year-old <laughs> man playing like a twenty-year-old. <laughs> you mean the Robert De Niro in the what was that film recently? Oh, The Irishman. At the least Irishman, they CG yeah. de that though. Like uh, the Evan Hansen, mm -hmm. it didn't look like they put any effort whatsoever. They didn't even try. The only part though of <laughs> The Irishman, I was impressed with the CGI de-aging. The only part where I was like, okay, it's very noticeable, is when he's like beating down the guy. Yeah, and mm -hmm. he can barely walk. Same thing with Indiana Jones, the recent Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, the de-aging is pretty good, except for the part where you hear him talk, and you're like, oh, he's a seventy-five-year-old man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think mm -hmm. uh, the gold standard at this point for de-aging is Sam Jackson in Captain Marvel, where it's like, yeah, you can see some of the seams, but it actually is pretty convincing. Well, and because the, they're not they're not de-aging him like dramatically too. Like it's like twenty years or something. Like it's 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 manageable. <laughs> well, they in speaking of Indiana Jones, they do it in the film where they de-age him like ten years to like the, the Crystal Skull kind of time, and it mm. actually looks fine. Yeah, there's no yeah. Real problem there. No, that did. Yeah, I thought the action scenes where they showed him really young, you could really notice it though. 
Mm. Like when he was moving fast, I was like, oh, it looks really computery. But um, yeah, I don't know. So we're talking about Dial of Destiny. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not, but we are talking about things uh, being resurrected, perhaps. Oh. Uh, so uh, Cam, I'll throw it to you, sir. Yes, drop the the, because we are tackling 2016's Mechanic Resurrection, the sequel to 2011's remake, The Mechanic. Which gets really confusing if you start saying stuff like that. The sequel to the remake. It's so confusing. Because, yes, you have the 1972 film with Charles Bronson. We've done that one on the show. There's the Mm -hmm. 2011 remake, which we watched as well uh, with Jason Statham. And then this is the sequel, mostly just in name, (laughs) to that 2011 film. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely get to that. But for those who haven't seen the film, let's hop in our bulletproof dinghies and talk about this letterbox.com synopsis. Mechanic Resurrection. Four continents, three kills, or the love of his life is dead. (laughs) The love of his life. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the love of his life. Okay, we'll take a yeah. yeah. There's, there's an asterisk there. We'll, we'll add that in anyway. Sure. But Arthur Bishop thought he had put his murderous past behind him when his most formidable foe is that his most formidable foe. Um, I mean, compared to Tony Goldwyn in the first one, I guess so. Yeah, I suppose his most formidable foe kidnaps the love of his life. There it is again. And now he is forced to travel the globe to complete three impossible assassinations and do what he does best, make them look like accidents. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, mean, the true accident was this film, but... <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Coming, coming out of the hot. gate hot. Yeah. Well, well, it, it, I, I think I needed to resurrect it after watching this twice. <laughs> I thought this was just going to be showered with accolades right from the get-go, but you have turned <laughs> this podcast on its head. I thought this was a knock-list slam dunk. <laughs> yeah, I saw... I mean, I saw that the first one didn't make it, and I was like, but surely, second time, <laughs> they, they they nailed this format now. I thought this movie had resurrected the mechanic's chances of being on the knock list. <laughs> oh! Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> Such suspense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never know what might happen on Spy Hearts. Hey, there's still two votes. I've already given you mine. There you go. There's a spoiler for you. It's true. But... I never saw this film on release, so I have no connection to it whatsoever. Brendan, had you ever seen anything mechanic? Any any of the original, the remake, anything like that? I had... So I didn't even know the, the Jason Statham movie was a remake, but when I found out it was, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, that makes sense. But yeah. um, I had, so I never knew about the original one. Um, I had heard of the Jason Statham one when it came out because it was in that big group of just like, sure, the mechanic... Crank, I mean, Crank, obviously different, but like just uh, the bank job, like all these like Jason Statham movies that came out like so close together and I was like, I couldn't mm-hmm. tell them apart so much so that I almost missed out on Wrath of Man, but I'm glad I saw it because it was a Guy mm-hmm. Ritchie movie and it was kind of stupid, but I kind of loved it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, no real connection to this. And then I think I heard about this one coming out and I was like, well, I'm not going to see this because I didn't see the first one and it just looks like a pretty generic action thriller. So yeah, didn't didn't see... Haven't seen any of them except for this one, like, last night. <laughs> okay, quick side question. Have you ever tackled a Jason Statham movie on your podcast? Oh. Yes, we did talk about Crank 2 High Voltage, but, I mean, in the most complimentary way, because that movie is hilarious. 
Sure. And that's something we talked about when we did the previous mechanic film is that mm. Statham stars in a lot of trash, but like mm-hmm. there are entries kind of sprinkled amidst them that are actually really fun and you should go back to if you're looking for good Jason Statham content. Yeah, I mean, those movies are like, what if we just did everything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if we just didn't say no to a single decision? And what if an actor came up to us and said, um, I'm trying to decide the, between these two choices. And the director said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what makes those movies different than like just his usual like, oh, and he got, didn't he do like the transporter movies or something too? That's another thing mm-hmm. I did never really. I think I one was in the background at like a, <laughs> like a, a Christmas at like a family gathering or something. And I, I think I remember saying, yeah, that's probably where it belongs. That's probably the best way to watch it. It's the perfect time to watch it. It's the yeah. perfect time to watch it. I, I do I do want to take umbrage, Cam, with an assertion you made that people would actually seek out additional Jason Statham <laughs> content. I would. I mean, if you're if you're seeking that out, I think you should go and see a doctor. No way, man. Jason Statham movies can be really fun. Okay. Okay. Wait, when that happens, let me know. Okay. <laughs> You need to watch them all clearly. Like safe, pretty good, pretty good. Oh, all right. That's another one I've he- I heard of that was a little different from the rest. I, I again, I'll go back to Wrath of Man. I think that one's actually interesting because it's not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a standard. There's enough of a Guy Ritchie vibe in there to make it stand out. Um, and I said off air when he shows up in Spy, terrific. Oh yeah, for I, sure. I have heard that he's good in Spy, and I've also heard that he that the recent spy film that he did that basically no one saw uh operation fortune ruse de Gour, uh oh, was yeah. apparently very good no one's ever seen it but apparently he's good in it is it the sequel isn't there like also just a one that's just called operation fortune or is that the same movie no it was i think a titling thing based on where you live okay mm. gotcha that's another guy Ritchie movie too yeah i think in north america it's just called operation fortune I think so. I think I've seen it both ways. So I thought, I was like, didn't this just come out? Is there already a sequel? I think it was a case where when they announced it, like I remember reading the initial announcement that the movie would be shooting and that it would be a project. It used the full title. Mm. And then when it actually came to, you know, being released in North America and showing up on Amazon and what have you, they cut that, uh, that bit at the end. And he wasn't in The Gentleman for some reason. I mean, come on. I know. (laughs) Find him a role in that movie. No kidding. Well, what about you, Cam? Uh, any connection to The Resurrection? Scott, I saw this movie in theaters. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so I had a movie theater about a three-minute walk from my house, maybe less uh, if you walked briskly. And it was kind of a rundown theater by its later days. Sometimes it smelled like mildew and they had to leave the doors open to air it out while you were sitting in there. Things like mm. that. And I would go there... Uh, semi-frequently on cheap Tuesdays and watch movies like Taken 3, Safe. You know, probably a lot of Statham movies, quite honestly. Uh, There was probably a whole string of them that I saw at that theater. I know I saw Killer Elite there as well. Um, And so one night, probably around 10 p.m., I went out and saw Mechanic Resurrection because I had seen the original in theater as well. Mm -hmm. And I went alone because that's what you do when you're going to Mechanic Resurrection in theaters. And... (laughs) I think my takeaway was that, like, it was bad, but it was kind of a bad I could get on board with because it was very goofy and over the top. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm, like, measuring Jason Statham kind of action trash, I'm way more into the ones that are just completely silly and all over the place. 
than the ones that are trying to be kind of gritty and serious. I can get behind that for sure. I I can imagine uh, it was just you in that theater for Mechanic Resurrection. Oh, there was, uh, there had to be like maybe maybe three people. Uh, probably there was one other guy, and you thought he was sleeping. Turned out he was dead. <laughs> yes, was it, and it and it was Cheap Tuesday too. You said right. It was Cheap Tuesday. Yes, and people still were not flocking to Mechanic Resurrection. Well, we'll get to the box office in a moment. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a very sparse crowd. Uh, probably a bunch of guys my age and older coming as singles. <laughs> that explains the mildew smell. It does, yes, ah. yes. And sadly, that theater has since shut down. I really miss it because it was like my go-to place for all these like kind of B movies that I'm not going to go see opening weekend at a nice theater. <laughs> sure. I don't, yeah, I don't think you need to see Mechanic Resurrection in 4DX. <laughs> if I don't get D-Box, I'm not going. <laughs> well, it's my Dolby. It's just like spraying salt water in my eyes during the entire fight on the boat. I'm like, stop, oh, man. please. If, if I have shark repellent at some point for some reason as well. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. Well, it, see, what happened was the, 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 the guy running it thought they were running the Meg, and he st- started throwing that out by mistake. Right. Right. <laughs> um, well, I'm curious then to know, because Mechanic 1 did okay from my memory, but it wasn't like a smash hit that everyone was talking about. It just sort of happened and people were semi-happy with it, which generally these days doesn't lead to a sequel. But hey-ho, we're here. So Cam, how did we get the resurrection of Mechanic? Yeah, not only did it get a sequel, but like five years later. Mm. It was not a case of, you know, two or three years later, here's your Mechanic 2. So what happened was the original mechanic, and I, when I say original, I mean the original Statham film in 2011, made 76.1 worldwide. That's not huge. Like the movie cost 30 or 40 or something like that. And, you know, once you factor in marketing costs, like that's not that impressive at all. So it was kind of a surprise that you would get a sequel. And I guess what happened was this movie did quite well at home. They said that it sold 1.5 million units. So Blu-rays, DVDs, what have you, and then was rented over 2.1 million times. Wow! Uh, you know, through pay-per-view and services like that. And so Millennium Films, which cranks out stay the movies on the regular, they also make the Expendables movies. And basically, if you see a kind of like, <laughs> kind of like B-level action movie in theaters, there's a chance you're going to see a Millennium logo before that movie. Like the like the geezer teasers, that sort of stuff. Those sort of things, the Taken-esque films. Uh, they don't do the Takens. That's the Luc Besson Europa Corps. Right. But um, they would oversee things like um, the Has Fallen franchise. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Would they have, would they have maybe done uh, The Foreigner with Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan? It's possible. It's very possible, yeah. So, like, if there is a B-level action movie in theaters that maybe stars some borderline washed-up action stars then there's a really good chance Millennium is behind it. Mm-hmm. And so I guess they just decided to pull the trigger. Plus, Jason Statham was coming off of Spy and Furious 7 and was looking to kind of give his fans one of his starring vehicles, kind of these B-level action movies that he typically is pretty popular for. Like, you can kind of scoff at them, but he definitely had built up a fan base through these movies over the years. A stay fan base. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
<laughs> Zing. Oh, boy. So oh, okay. <laughs> they hired Dennis Gansell to direct this movie. He was a German-born writer-director who started in shorts in the mid-'90s, did a TV movie called Das Phantom in 2000, and then did his first motion picture called Girls on Top in 2001, which was like a sex comedy. And he worked entirely in German cinema. This was actually his first like American film was making The Mechanic Resurrection. I just used the the, and I shouldn't have, but I've been doing that almost all week when people ask me what I'm covering on the podcast. And Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> How many people ask you what we're covering on the podcast? More than you'd think. <laughs> In your daily life. Who's asking? More than you would think. They're always curious what I'm watching every week. Wow. Excuse me, do you know when the next bus comes by? Also, what are you covering this week? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, sir. You can get the 210 in about seven minutes, but... <laughs> Yeah. And also, the mechanic, damn it. Yeah. Uh, and so, Gansell, um, after this movie, really just went back to German cinema. So, this is kind of his one kind of big major studio release. And I went through interviews with this man looking for some sort of content as to, like, what brought him to the project, what inspired him. And it was a lot of very boring anecdotes about, oh, we shot this action scene on this location and the stuntman had a hard time, that kind of stuff. What I did find, though, was a very brief bit where he said what appealed to him was the idea of doing a quote-unquote dirty James Bond movie, so like an R-rated, gritty, kind of over-the-top James Bond film, Mm -hmm. and he was also very drawn in by the emotional love story of the screenplay. Uh, That's the one (laughs) thing I remember from this movie. I'm assuming we're spending the whole episode talking about that. Hmm. I mean, firstly, was he actually Jessica Alba's uh, acting coach for this film? <laughs> because in terms of his wooden performance in interviews. But uh, this love story is yeah, quite the question mark because the synopsis talks all about this, long, this massive love story that changes his life. And maybe there's a director's cut of the resurrection. Maybe that's where the the is. We need to resurrect the uh, <laughs> director's cut. Yeah. <laughs> give, give Ganzel a call. I also wonder how different... I mean, the screenplay could have been very different at the time when he first signed on, too, right? It could have been way more focused on that. Maybe it was better written (laughs) before someone came in and did something to it. I don't know. Love story is not something that stands out, though. That's for sure. Well, I'm glad you bring up the screenplay. Oh. Because it comes from a story by Philip Shelby, who worked in German TV. His only other major credit was the 2015 Pierce Brosnan film Survivor, which I have not seen. I think it went straight to streaming. I don't even know if it had a theatrical release. It might have, yeah, but uh, not a big hit, that's for sure. And he rolled right into the mechanic and post this movie, the end. There is no further work on the IMDb. For a film that's talking about resurrections, it's actually killing quite a few careers. (laughs) Let me continue. This man was one of the writers. Oh, also, Cam, I think, I think, I think you also meant to say end. <laughs> true, true. I have too many thes in my sentences. Uh, <laughs> so that is just one writer. He's the one who came up with the story and the first draft. And then they brought in Tony Mosher, who started out in the mid two thousands, did an episode of a TV show called Kick Patowski, Suburban Daredevil, and then worked on this movie. Uh, d- does anyone know what that is? No, I have no idea. Kit Kit Batowski? Yeah, Suburban Daredevil. Okay. If one of you wants to Google that, well, I'll I'll complete this man's rich filmography. So then he does Mechanic, 
And then after Mechanic, he has one other credit, and it's the 2017 straight-to-streaming Antonio Banderas action film Security. I can tell you that Kick Batowski Suburban Daredevil is an animated show uh-huh. that was on the Disney television network. Okay. How many episodes has it run? It ran, well, because it's an animated show that has a lot of episodes, it ran for two seasons, and it has a total of 52 episodes. Okay. That's respectable. I think he wrote one episode, so. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, John DiMaggio, who's done voice work in so many things, appears, I think he's the lead? No, he's Mr. Vickle. He's not, in fact, Kick Butowski. Never mind. Yeah. So, so far, we have a little bit of a streak of screenwriters with not a lot of prior experience mm-hmm. and not a lot of experience post-Mechanic Resurrection. But wait, that's just two of the writers. They had uncredited rewrites from the writing team, Rachel Long and Brian Pittman, who were known for two films, 2013's A Haunting at Silver Falls, Blank Stairs All Around, and 2014's Dawn Patrol, which I had never heard of, so I looked it up. It is a Scott Eastwood film. Everyone's favorite Eastwood, yeah. It's yeah. Charismatic as hell. This is, I, I, everybody always tells me that's their, he's their favorite part of the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. So Isn't he in like two of them? Um, he's in two of them. Yeah, he's in a couple. Yes. I'm yeah. sure. I'm more of a Dusk Patrol kind of guy. <laughs> I'm more of a Paw Patrol kind of guy. Ah, so mm. I think the main takeaway can be that they were not really shooting for pedigree when it came to writers working on Mechanic Resurrection. The one thing I admire is they just kept bringing in more people to write it versus just running off a first draft. So it's like they were kind of invested, but not fully invested. It sounds like a bit of a conspiracy because people are joining this production and then disappearing and they're hiring more and more writers. Were there like some mysterious tragic accidents on the set or something that all these writers just disappearing because they didn't work afterwards? This is a maybe we're uncovering a true crime podcast episode here. This is what this is turning into. Or it's just like you're going to see some of these names pop up in the future of direct to streaming action movies. Could be a bit of that. Are you suggesting that the Upside Down exists on the set of Mechanic Resurrection, and that's where all these writers are? <laughs> it's one of the portals. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can get to the Upside Down through the, through the Mechanic... No, no, sorry. Mechanic Resurrection. <laughs> yeah. In the Upside Down, it's called the Mechanic Resurrection. And, and that's why it's never been in the news, because there were no set visits to Mechanic Resurrection. <laughs> oh, there were visits, but you just never got to see it. Mm. Right, right. They had it covered in a in one of those like cheap curtains you get at a dollar store or something. Right. That that sounds right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in my efforts to find research on the making of this movie, there's just not a lot of production detail in terms of this movie available online. So I was going through, like, interviews. And, like, some of the interviews they had with the actors, there was one with Jason Statham, I believe it's on Screen Rant, where it literally sounds like the preamble of what you would talk to an actor about before you start the interview. It's like asking questions like, so it's a nice day, huh? <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> It's crazy. At least he didn't uh, tell the interviewer, ask the interviewer if they were in Beautiful World, um, <laughs> like his one of his co-stars. What was that anecdote? Uh, that's a Vin Diesel interview, a very uncomfortable Vin Diesel interview where he's interviewed by this, I mean, this beautiful woman. And the whole time he's like, man, you are so beautiful. When do we get to Beautiful World? I can't concentrate. I gotta, I gotta look at your beauty. And I'm like, dude, calm down. <laughs> and she's visibly uncomfortable and he just continues and continues. It's bad. It's bad. 
Yeah, these stay the ones don't have the creep factor. That's for sure. That's they good. just sound that's entirely good. like flippant and like let's talk about anything other than the movie. That sort of stuff. <laughs> and I did find an amazing quote from Jason Statham during this press tour. He said, We try to give the fans what they want. Let's make a movie. Have some fun doing it. Visit some nice countries and give people 90 minutes of entertainment. I actually can't fault that for a second. No, yeah. that's very honest. That is what I want. Yeah, it sounds like he knows exactly what kind of movie he's making and what the expectations should be. Mm-hmm. And if I can put a, a grown man's face onto a griddle for a few seconds and see the scorch marks whilst I'm doing it, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all so, good. I think mm-hmm. Statham knows exactly what his audience wants and what movies he has to deliver to kind of entertain them. Okay. Okay. So, as I said, the original mechanic made 76.1 worldwide. Keep that in mind. This movie had a budget of $40 million. Domestically, it did 21.2. International, 104.5. For a worldwide total of $125.7 million. So this movie made almost $50 million more than... Actually, over $50 million more than the first mechanic. What? How much of that was from China? I would say quite a lot. Quite a lot. Okay. <laughs> Because that was another that was another thing with the Meg too. I think the Meg made like most of its money in China, and that's why it took place in China. I also thought that was a weird detail. I was like, oh, okay, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, and there's like all the like kind of built-in advertising for Chinese products in the Meg. Yeah, as well. Yes, yeah. yes, and they cast I think like one of China's like top actors, like most popular actors in the movie too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. And she's not back for the Meg too. I noticed. Oh no! I know, right? Is I never saw the first one, but is is did Rain Wilson survive the first one? I don't want to break your heart, Scott, but oh, okay. When it rains, it pours. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! His character yeah. doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I sorry, I don't want to shift to the Meg, but I'm just saying it no, doesn't. No. His character is <laughs> confounding in that movie. The, wait, 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 wait. The mechanic. Oh. Oh. Okay. 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 Yeah, that okay. could be part three of this franchise. Sure. Oh, uh, Jesus. <laughs> so this movie landed at number sixty-six for the year, between uh, one spot below Skip Trace, which was the I think Jackie Chan Johnny Knoxville action movie. Um, yep. I've never seen it. It was um, no. Nope. I think it was very popular internationally, but got next to no release in North America. Yeah, no one here saw it. <laughs> it was one spot above Peter Berg's Deepwater Horizon with Mark Wahlberg, which was a actually quite good movie. Yeah, I'm surprised that that I'm surprised it's below that. I guess if it's 66, it might it's probably not that much less. But and the top three for the year: number one was Captain America: Civil War. Number two was Rogue One. Number three was Finding Dory. All three very similar films. And just as a footnote, we're going to talk about Jessica Alba's performance in this movie. And, you know, it is what it is. But I would like to note that Jessica Alba, around this point in time, was, and to this day, is the, you know, CCO of Honest Corporation, which launched in the early 2010s. By 2014, it was worth $1 billion. And so she's doing just fine. This was a vacation for her and her, you know, company, Honest Corporation, which puts out basically childcare and baby products um kept her very happy and busy and fulfilled you know when she's doing the mechanic resurrection is is she still working nowadays uh in film occasionally but not a lot 
I think the last thing I would have. Well, no, because this came out after Machete, right? That's the last thing before. That's the most recent thing that I remember besides this, obviously. But um, I don't think she's done anything in the last like 10 years or so. And if she has, it's very sporadic. Was she in a Sin City sequel? I was going to say, yeah. Like I, yeah. She was in Sin City 2, but I don't know if that was before or after this movie. I just can't remember. She's in a movie that came out last year called Trigger Warning. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. I, that title makes me very nervous. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> She's not done much since. She's not done much since. Oh, here you go, guys. She was in the Netflix film El Camino Christmas with the hilarious Tim Allen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so Mechanic really was kind of a, uh indication of the path to come. But in the business world, she's killing it. Fair play to her. I can't, I can't fault her that. Uh, but that sounds like we've got our briefing on how the mechanic got resurrected. I should drop the the, sorry. Mechanic got resurrected. It's impossible. It's very hard to do, right? It is so hard to do it. But we're here and we want to talk about this film. So let's... Uh, oh, whoa. There's a hang glider. Let's all jump on top of it, folks, and talk about it now. <laughs> I'm sure it could take all of our weight simultaneously for some strange reason. It's a very sturdy hang glider. Brendan, you're back on the show talking about another beloved spy film, of course, and I want to hear from you because you're far more qualified to talk about these things than we are. What did you think of Mechanic Resurrection? So, I okay, so I like I said earlier, I love, as ridiculous and dumb as they are, I really enjoy the Crank movies. And mm -hmm. the, when this thing started with Jason Statham smashing a table into a lady's face and then just smashing people's faces into tables and i think the grill thing happens at the beginning too like yeah i'm just like okay like great i'm on board i'm ready to see this if this if this is the movie from here on out till the end i'm i'm in and really i think the subtitle i even wrote in my notes is like oh that's that's it <laughs> it's a kind of it kind of gets your hopes up at least for me it kind of gets my hopes up at the beginning and as the movie goes on it just slowly 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 goes downhill um and just becomes so like by the numbers and so rote and so predictable i guess i don't know like i'd never i now to be fair i must have been very confused watching this because i haven't had the context of the of the original the mechanic with jason statham so i'm sure i'm missing out on all the nuance it's so important it's, it's so important that you'd seen those films is he the only character that from the original that comes back yeah so not even michelle yo no Okay, because the way they set up Michelle Yeoh, it's like she was such an important person in his life. And I was like, oh, surely she was in the first one. <laughs> nope. Well, let's be honest. They also say that Jessica Alba is the love of his life, and that comes out out of nowhere. So that they're just doing that in this film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just... <sighs> That was that was the overall experience for me. It just it was a movie that just kind of was like sturm and drag. Like it just kind of it just kind of glazed over my brain. <laughs> it's funny because like I would say the only callbacks to the 2011 movie that I mean obviously who he is, you know, his mm -hmm. job and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that is set up in the first movie, but you can easily pick that up in this movie as well. And there's an endless array of action movies that are about former hitmen or whatever assassins that are called back after, you know, having retired. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not something you necessarily need a previous movie to explain. I think the only moment, and correct me, Scott, if there's something else that jumps to mind, 
is like the scene with him with the record player at the start of the movie, which is like kind of his love of vinyl records calls back to the first movie. That's about it, right? I mean, there's a couple of small things. I mean, you see a clip on her phone of him escaping the gas station as it's exploding, which is from the first film. Uh, Jason yeah. Statham's uh, amazing ability to high speed, uh, you know, barrel roll out of a scene is is legendary. He has, you know, the best forward rolls in town. The other thing is, you in the background you see one of the boards that he sets up with like the the photos and the diagrams, which is kind of his modus operandi when it comes to putting these schemes together. You just see it in the background. It's almost basically it's it's not even lip service. It's screen service, I suppose. Yeah, I think with like. The 2011 movie, it's actually kind of helpful in some ways to have watched the original Mm. because the original has much kind of like, it's not a great movie, but it has a lot more complex ideas that are kind of bubbling under the surface. You can, when you watch the remake, you see like what they stripped out, like how much potential there was and some of the interesting relationships that they kind of Mm -hmm. simplify or reframe for the remake. So in that case it's actually kind of interesting to compare the two but i wouldn't say that this movie has any real relationship with the previous movie that you get any benefit from you know what what's interesting too is that statham it just i'm thinking now of another remake he's he was in um italian job which is another example of a remake of a, a better movie that really does strip away a lot of the stuff that you that kind of sells the original movie, you know, like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I guess he's got some experience in this department, but by the way, thank you for pointing out the little things from the uh, first state, the movie. Cause now having known that, I think I should watch <laughs> it again. Cause I'll probably, my, my opinion will probably change quite a bit. It's like tenant. You know, once you see it the first time you go back and it changes your experience, that's how you're going to feel when you go back to mechanic resurrection. Right. I'll be like, Oh, his diagrams. Mm, uh-huh. <laughs> it's all coming together now. Temporal pins and movements. That's what it's all about. <laughs> I read on Twitter the other day that someone was earnestly saying you should watch the film backwards and it'll make more sense. I was like, are you mm. are you actually high? Wait, Mechanic Resurrection? Yes. <laughs> wait, no, wait, which movie are you talking about? Tenet, but oh, let's sorry. go with Mechanic Resurrection because that's actually way funnier. <laughs> wait, what's the plot of that film? Hang on. It could be our that could be our Patreon exclusive. <laughs> watching Mechanic Resurrection backwards. He revives a bunch of people on a boat by taking bullets out of their bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and then heals three people across the globe. Yep. Slowly uh falls out of love with Jessica Alba. Yeah. Mm. And then retires to uh to Sao Paulo or uh, or Brazil, I think it was. Yeah, or, or, yeah something like that. Uh yeah. yeah. Uh, that's uh, a... <laughs> Hey, it's okay. Earnestly, earnestly what I thought you were saying at first. It's like, <laughs> what? That's an insane theory. <laughs> the fact that anyone's talking about mechanic resurrection on Twitter is more the insane theory, I think, of the two. Yeah, film Twitter's lighting up about this movie, for sure. Oh, man. They, they, they don't know what's about to hit them. <laughs> it was the first major um, event on threads. Yeah. It was a mechanic resurrection. <laughs> discussion thread so guys have you heard about that movie bottoms is coming out yeah f- screw that let's talk about mechanic resurrection watch <laughs> it backwards it'll all make sense uh, i mean it makes kind of sense already no trust me just gotta do it okay so 
you liked the start. You weren't on board for the rest of the film. That makes sense. And we'll get into mine in a second. I think I'll go last. But Cam, I'll throw it to you because you've seen it once before. Yeah. Has your opinion changed on it since watching it? I think what I noticed this time was, and I would say my opinion hasn't changed drastically. Sure. I still think it's a terrible movie that is pretty watchable because A, it's short. And B, mm-hmm. it has enough like goofy ideas that I kind of perk up for. Like there's an assassination scene with a pool yeah. on like a 76 floor building that I'm like, you know, they marketed the hell out of that in their trailers, but I can understand why. It's in the poster, yeah. Yeah, like it it alternately looks really cool and very fake mm-hmm. at the same time, mm-hmm. but like it's an idea that's interesting and the movie has enough of those sprinkled throughout to kind of keep me awake because it's not exciting. It's not a thrilling movie. It's not like a edge-of-your-seat action film like a John Wick film or a Mission Impossible film or anything like that. But it has enough quirky ideas where I go, oh, that's kind of fun. Or a slumming actor like Tommy Lee Jones, like, I think playing Elton John or something, showing up to, like, inject the movie with some energy. I'm like, okay, okay, this movie has some really stupid things that kind of are fun for me. But I did notice much more so this time. The energy really does drop off i think after that setup Mm -hmm. and once you get to the three assassinations uh, the pool one is cool the uh the one with the warlord we'll talk about the prison and everything that one kind of to me is kind of a drag to sit through and then when you get to like the action stuff towards the end it's just it's very perfunctory like there's some fun little action beats Mm -hmm. but in terms of like putting together a 25 minute action driven finale you kind of are checked out by the time the movie is over yeah i i found myself frequently checking my watch through this unfortunately so uh and just to talk to your tommy lee jones point about him playing elton john i i think to me he's just playing the stranix character from under siege it's it's under siege too we just with tommy lee jones it is yeah, it's not quite as over-the-top crazy in terms of, like, the performance mm-hmm. as Under Siege, but in terms of, like, <laughs> the very garish attire and what seems to be, like, all Tommy Lee Jones ideas, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, he was clearly doing uh, two days' worth of work and having a good time doing it, so I'm all for Tommy Lee Jones looking like he's having fun for once. I have a question for you, Scott, and, you know, Brendan, if you've seen the movie, which movie was... Tommy Lee Jones more mentally checked out for mechanic resurrection or criminal you know what's crazy we talked about criminal on the podcast and I can't even place who Tommy Lee Jones plays is he's the is he the cop is he like the main he's like the scientist doctor oh, right. guy uh honestly I would say criminal just because in this movie mm. I mean he is a little he's not over the top but he's got a little spark to him and yeah. my god that like Beetlejuice colored pajamas and that long flowing robe and that little <laughs> soul patch and that earring oh like I the glasses I, yes I just I hope that he went to the costume designer and was like I have some ideas <laughs> I've brought this from home <laughs> I I love his look in this movie. Yeah, criminal. Like I don't remember a a thing about his performance. Like I I didn't even remember his character till you told me just now. So I I would say I would say criminal is the phoned in one. Criminal might have a more checked out Tommy Lee Jones, but what it does have that this film doesn't have is Kevin Costner pretending to be a dog while chained up to the ceiling. I'm just saying. 
Mm, that's true. That is, that is a true. highlight of my life. Can I tell you the the highlight of Criminal for me? And it's got, almost got nothing to do with the movie. So sure. when I worked at the movie theater, that movie came out. And it mm-hmm. just kind of came out like no one really knew what it was. Or like, oh, Criminal, sure, whatever. And prominently on the poster is Ryan Reynolds. So I can't tell you the amount yeah. of people that went in... <laughs> 15 minutes in spoiler alert (laughs) when ryan reynolds is brutally killed and then come out and then came out looking for refunds because they thought it was a ryan reynolds movie it was my favorite thing ever it's like i'm sorry you're gonna have to watch a kevin costner movie actually (laughs) we're not happy with that poor kevin costner like you know you go from being this icon leading like dances with wolves the untouchables like the go-to guy for mainstream film for a number of years to having to have audiences tricked into seeing your movie by thinking it's a Ryan Reynolds film. <laughs> Can I just point out a, a moment of symmetry as well here that's taking place that we haven't been made aware of? Is we're talking about criminal, but when we appeared on your show, Brendan, we spoke about replicas. And what do those two films have in common? Some people at home might know it already. It is the actor, Alice Eve. And more so than that, in both films, she dies very early on for no reason whatsoever. Thank you, Alice Eve. Did she die in replicas? <laughs> in replicas, she dies in the in the car accident. She's his wife. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And then she's brought back. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Remember oh, yeah, they yeah. they make the clones. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm. Right. Oh. Yeah. Uh, small connective tissue, but I guess from my point of view, this is like a mechanic film in name only. There is almost no connective tissue. You know, Brendan and I were talking beforehand before we did this episode, and like Brendan, you asked me about like watching the other ones, and I had just watched this, and I was like, I think you're absolutely fine. You don't need to watch the other ones. You don't need to have sort of background revision for this film. It can be just met as a schlocky action film, and that's exactly what it is. It's 90 minutes of Jason Statham just being Bond with no money whatsoever. <laughs> and yeah. I think if you just come into it expecting that, it's actually a pretty good time. I agree with what you both said in terms of you have this great start. Like, it really kickstarts stuff. There's like a gondola chase. Uh, you know, any spy film needs a gondola chase. It's always good to see. Mm-hmm. And then he dives onto a, a hang glider that's flying past and somehow manages to survive. I was like, okay, this film is going nuts from the start. I'm here for it. And then it just dies with him and Jessica Alba on the beach with Michelle Yeoh for some reason. For no reason whatsoever, and I will just put in, Michelle Yeoh is completely wasted in this film. We'll come back to it. What was that casting? But it does, for me at, at least, somewhat resurrect when it comes to doing the kills later on. It does get a little bit more energy back because you get some action sequences. But that like 30-minute sequence in a 90-minute film of Jason Statham and Jessica Alba, you know, neither are known for their uh, you know award-winning acting. Uh, bouncing off of each other and trying to sell the world's most passionate love affair is some of the worst stuff I've <laughs> sat through. Luckily, you have the assassinations later to get back to, but yes, it takes a lot of the magic away having to sit through those beach scenes. Can you explain her character to me, Scott? <laughs> no. I, I tried, because I've seen this twice. I watched this twice. I tried to track it in the second one, like her plan. She's hired by the guy to sort of like honey pot, like honey trap, whatever you want to call it, him in. Uh, yes. And then... And then they'll get him to do the assassinations. 
Yeah, and doesn't she have to... So from what I gather, she's there with a guy and has to mm-hmm. pretend that he's beating her. But then he gets yeah. like too method and actually starts beating her? Is that what happened? <laughs> it's just a prank, bro. Uh, yeah. It's just a- well, it, it's so like weirdly like just an off the cuff. She's like, oh, he got drunk and went too far. And you're like, what? Like You would also think like these are like high level criminals that he wouldn't just be like, oh, crap, I got too drunk. Guess I better do it for real. Like that seems like a weird mistake to make so much so that I'm watching this movie. I don't know if you guys, um, uh, Scott, you said you hadn't seen this before, right? No. Okay. No, this is new for me. Did you think... At the beginning, that she was in on it the whole time, because I thought she was just—it was a ruse, like that. She said, "Oh, you know, this guy—he um, was supposed to—he was supposed to pretend to beat me, and you were supposed to come in, and then the, we're gonna fall in love, and they're gonna kidnap me and make you do this stuff." I thought she was literally telling him this, but was also gonna turn out that she was just working for them. I—I I think you're giving the film too much credit. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I think was... I went into it knowing the first one and the second one. So I was like, I'm not expecting much, but I can see where you're coming from. And you're watching a spy film. So you're expecting a little bit of like double crossing. Something. I don't think this film is something, something, some sort of energy. Just straightforward. No, her, her, her plan makes no sense. No, they bend over backwards after that kind of like shady introduction of like, I was hired to basically honeypot you to like repainting her as this like saintly humanitarian. Mm who runs like a shelter for human trafficking victims or survivors and is just trying to protect the shelter. And you're like, wow, they are like really trying. Like they want us to just like not question this character whatsoever. And it's weird how they like introduce this kind of like level of kind of like real world tragedy to like what this woman's work Mm -hmm. is. And then you have Jason Statham. We find out he was an orphan who was like sold as a child soldier to like a gangster and that the villain didn't escape the clutches of this gangster whereas Jason Statham did like there are real world horrors in this absolutely absurd movie with people diving on top of hang gliders and like blowing people up in jacuzzis yeah it literally goes from hang glider gliding hang glider riding perhaps <laughs> straight to domestic abuse in in like a 5 minute span and that's a whiplash it is yeah uh well it, i suppose we could dwell on some of the things that didn't work but let's praise the things that did first let's talk about likes brendan take us away give us something you liked about mechanical resurrection well there are a few i think there's a couple we covered already and i uh and cam mentioned too um the opening is great i think it starts mm-hmm. off like i said like it's going to be a ridiculous action movie which it is but it doesn't really live up to the level i think at the beginning um tommy lee jones character of course making the most of like maybe five minutes on screen at the at at most (laughs) um and uh and the pool assassination is admittedly pretty cool and it does have my favorite shot of the entire movie is after he does it and he's walking back through the window it's just that background shot of the body just flopping down through the water (laughs) just you just hear the splat yeah um but man, anything else positive that really sticks out? Uh, obviously, the romance for me really works. Uh, mm. You just you just really feel this chemistry <laughs> sizzles off the screen. Um, I really can't think of any other big. And maybe when you guys mention it, something else will come to mind. But that's those are the three like main things, I guess. I like that Michelle Yeoh was there, but not when I found out what she was going to be doing. <laughs> 
I will say this just to add to the Tommy Lee Jones love from a little bit earlier. I did enjoy that the final shot of the movie is him sitting at a computer, like looking at surveillance video and discovering that the mechanic had escaped again and is like, ha ha ha. And then he has that bizarro line where he goes, bang, you're dead. Cut to black credits. Which is the line from the last film, but makes no sense in this context. <laughs> did, didn't it also look like the computer graphics were super outdated? Is it just me or did it look... They, yeah. Yeah, it looked like... Oh, it's that's in my dislikes. It's terrible. They've okay. all got that like, bloom to it. Everything's like photoshopped in but badly. It, it looked like... um, It reminded me of the jackal when he's talking to the computer. <laughs> that great scene. <laughs> I was reminded of Swordfish when he's doing the, like, hacking and you're seeing, like, geometric shapes, like, fly around the screen. Like, whenever Statham sat down at a computer to, like, bring up information, I'm like, this doesn't even look like actual websites or programs you'd be running. No No effort. He's on the dark web, Cam. (laughs) You don't know what happens there. (laughs) Okay. It's it's dark. It's It's the dark web. They don't know how to program properly. (laughs) No. (laughs) They're in the dark. Uh, Cam, what about you? I like... Uh, locations. Sure. I think that this movie, I actually appreciate... They weren't there at any point. Well, there's some there's some second unit. I don't know. Jason Statham did say he was in Thailand shooting for a prolonged period of time. Oh, they, they did some beach stuff. I'll, I'll give you that. They did some beach yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, like, whenever they would show their locations, I was actually pretty into it because some of them look really beautiful. Like, some of the Thailand footage mm-hmm. is fantastic. And some of those aerial views you get of, like, Sydney, Australia... And, you know, some various other locales. Like, they look great. And it is a little jarring when you go from looking at some of the really beautiful second unit footage or in the case of some of the Thailand stuff, you know, the primary unit. Uh, but when you cut from that to, like, a green screen shot of an actor, it's a little jarring. But I appreciate any movie that goes somewhere and tries to communicate the beauty of that location. Like... You know, we talked about, I guess we didn't really do it on the show much, but Fast 10, uh, you know, earlier this summer went to a lot of locations, but they all just look like actors in front of a green screen. This movie, I think some of the fakery was actually pretty good and some of the real world settings, uh, I appreciated spending time in. I can understand when Jason Statham says, you know, go to a couple cool countries and make a fun movie for people. I, I get it. Well, it's interesting as well. Yeah, I think we'll probably talk about some spy movie connections in this film at some point. But the stuff I think that's meant to be in the Philippines was shot in Thailand, uh, in Phuket, which is where they shot some of the scenes from Tomorrow Never Dies with Michelle Yeoh. Uh, And also Man with Golden Gun, too. Yeah, so a little Bond connection there, which is nice. It's very much also the Adam Sandler mentality uh, where he's like... (laughs) I think I want to go on vacation here this year. So he just just makes a movie about Africa. (laughs) Why not? I mean, I would pretty much guarantee that the reason, say, like Michelle Yeoh is in this movie Mm -hmm. was probably just the vacation. She probably shot for like a week or two, uh, probably a week, and got a free trip to that location. Yeah, like you hire Michelle Yeoh and you're not... Anyway, so yeah, sorry. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I've got some concerns there. I, I agree, Cam. I think locations do work when they're there. I, when they're CG'd in, it looks pretty bad. That that does bump me, I have to say. My like I have left that we haven't mentioned, because Tommy Lee Jones, I think, is great. I think the opener is great. I think some of the assassinations are great. The action, I think, is actually pretty well staged and pretty well shot. I don't think I lose 
like the geography of any of the, the the shooting scenes. It is just a lot of Jason Statham shooting people. But there's like a whole protracted like Home Alone style sequence at the end in the sub pen. It's actually pretty inventive and quite fun to watch. And Jason Statham is pretty good at throwing grenades into small holes, which is fun. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just like seeing him shoot the place up. This is and and I that leads me to my big like, which is and I said it in my sort of top notes is this is a bond film with no budget yeah if if you want an old school bond film no thrills like with a lot of shooting and not a lot of questions being asked this is actually not a bad sort of thing to reach for in that sense it's got a dry period when they're just doing the romance but after that and before that it's a lot of fun just watching the action sequences and, and seeing this sort of insane almost like roger moore era bond film well the action in this movie you would not say it is top tier in any way, shape, or form, but it is technically competent. Technically competent. Like, it is getting across the geography of where they are. You're getting actual action beats, you know, kills that are sometimes fun, sometimes video gamey, but in a, you know, kind of mildly entertaining way. Um, it's not like the kind of the choppy bad stuff you see in like a Taken 3. I was actually pretty satisfied overall with it as kind of a uh, you know action exploitation film, um, and there's some CG going on in some of this action, but I found it mostly inoffensive except when it was like some of the like explosions where you're like, oh, that's from an eight bit video game. Oh, there's there's one explosion that is I literally think they just used a special effect from like an asylum movie. Like it was it was real bad. <laughs> yeah. Is that the boat by any chance? The deck yeah, of the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that yeah. big one. Especially when they cut to the wide shot and you're just like, oh, mm. none of that happened. <laughs> Do you know what though? Like that entire boat action scene, it reminded me a lot of Goldeneye sixty four. Of the level where you're on, I think it's called the frigate mm-hmm. level, yeah. where you're on the boat and you've got to free the hostages. And you're running around, you know, with often like a silenced gun in that game. And that's what he's doing in this movie. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of getting that video game energy off of this. And I'm not hating it. No, I, I think this is in terms of a movie that, uh, yeah, I think Brendan mentioned uh, the transporter or something had it on at Christmas in the background. This is perfect for that. Like a family, perhaps like the old family mm. <laughs> movie where you're, you're like half talking to each other and half watching the film for the action sequences. It's perfect for that. Like there's some there's some cool moments you, you'll get a little kick out of seeing. Yeah. Also, big reveal, guys. I've never played the GoldenEye video game. Whoa. Well, thanks for joining us this week, <laughs> uh, Brendan. That about wraps us up with this episode. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Uh, it, hey, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's not a prerequisite to be on the show, but it is appreciated if you do. It's a it's a first person shooter thing for me. I always find those so difficult to. Uh, I get I get uh, almost like seasick playing them. Right. Which right. certainly wouldn't help on the frigate level. No. 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 no that would be doubly bad. Yeah. Double O bad. <laughs> were they ever on a boat in this movie? Yeah, they were on a physical boat. For sure. Were they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they had a boat because they, they, you wouldn't build such practical sets in that way. You'd use a boat. I wasn't sure. Like, yeah, I mean, they're probably just like green screen in the background, but I think they were on some kind of boat. They're probably just on like a still water somewhere. You think they were on water? <laughs> Maybe it was a boat on on like a, in a soundstage. Isn't it easier for it to be on water? I thought that would have been cheaper than it <laughs> to be driven into a soundstage. 
they did like they did like a Fitzcarraldo and carried it like to the soundstage from the water. Uh, I think they just borrowed uh, Jim Cameron's uh, tank that he used for Titanic and they just mm. <laughs> shot it on there. Mm-hmm. And then he went straight to do the Meg afterwards. <laughs> yeah, probably didn't even leave. He was like, oh, everyone was packing up, and Jason Statham was like, "I'm just gonna stick around, wait for the Meg people to come I've in." I've got my speedo uh, you... already. Like, I'm good to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my character's different. Hold on, I got slightly change my scowl. Mm. <laughs> there we go. I need to grunt differently. <laughs> yeah. What's my motivation for my grunting in this movie? Mm. My intonation of grunting has changed. <laughs> That's a good tagline. <laughs> my intonation of grunting has changed. <laughs> Title of my memoir. <laughs> We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Attention, spy hards, die hards. Independent podcasting. Much like the spy game requires considerable resources, whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course constructing a hidden moon base, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right, the Spy Hearts Patreon is the home to our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors, and The Debrief, where we activate our billion-dollar brains and predict how the spy movie news of today will shape tomorrow. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? The Equalizer 3 is in theaters now, so it seems like a good time to celebrate with some Denzel Washington. We are going to look at the 2010 Tony Scott thriller, Unstoppable, starring Denzel and Chris Pine. Choo choo. So accept your mission and hop in the Hellmobile today at patreon.com slash spyheart. But before Spectre agents intercept this broadcast, let's get back to the spy jinx. We've praised the film enough, clearly. We have some issues. We have some dirty laundry. We need to air it. Brendan, it sounds like you might have a couple of things to say when it comes to dislikes. I'll throw it back to you, sir. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to step on your... I know you got a big one you want to talk about. I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to step on that one, mm. but for me, it's like okay. For the longest while, it took me it took me a while to realize that the movie was rated R, and like I didn't feel like it really felt like that very much. And I'm like, if you're for a while anyway, until I started hearing them throw around the f bomb, and I was like, oh okay, yeah. But if you're gonna make like like you said, a Bond movie with a lower budget, but just like fights, kills, bullets, everything. And you're going to go for the R rating. I'm sorry. If your movie's not that good, at least make it gory or bloody or something. Like, give me something. Like, when that when that guy goes splat on the pavement, show it. Come on. <laughs> just just give me a shot of it. Like, I feel like there's so many just, like, it feels like I'm watching, like, a PG-13 spy movie, which is fine. I don't have anything against those movies at all. But, like, if you have a movie this dumb uh i need something <laughs> and i feel like when it started with all that like the, the table bashing and the guy's face on the grill i was like okay i'm gonna get this. i'm gonna get this it's actually gonna go for it and it just felt like people getting shot bloodless deaths whatever like it's like when i watch like a bad horror movie it's the same thing there like if i'm gonna watch a bad horror movie at least make people die in cool ways like you know <laughs> something to uh to enjoy that was actually my biggest thing <laughs> is that i wanted it to be just like I don't know, more violent, more grosser, more grosser. Is that a thing? Ah, it is now. I just started it. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, the romance, I think we'll all talk about that is, is just the movie just stops dead like a cold <laughs> fish for 25 minutes. Is it really 25 minutes of the movie? Yeah. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Yeah. And like, 
you have that hilarious sex scene in the first stay the movie mm, the one scored to doing it famously yeah. yeah yeah and then you get like this, this romantic sex scene in this movie and i was like this is just eye-rolling stuff and the entire relationship is so absurd and it's like we just like in terms of the movie timeline it's like a couple hours before they are having their like romantic falling in love stuff she was like they thought an abused person on a you know on a boat that they were having to mm-hmm. rescue and then like maybe what like four hours later five hours Michelle Yeoh is trying to play matchmaker between the two of them at a wedding and tying them together and they're like staring dreamily into each other's eyes I'm like oh my god like this is you know James Bond movies they do the same thing where they meet and it's like they instantly are giving each other the eyes but like this movie tries to be very sincere about it and it does mm. not work for a single second yeah I was gonna say in a Bond movie that I feel like it's like you know, there's like a sexual charge to it. It's not so much like, oh, because this movie is like, no, they're going to be in a relationship. Like, they're going to possibly have kids together. They're going to get <laughs> married. I feel like uh, also the um, the sex scene, like you said, very unremarkable. It seemed to be have been a scene with two actors who didn't want to be in the room with each other. Um, <laughs> and they also, it, I don't know, for me, okay, this is, I think they could have easily fixed this, though. I think if like, she she tells him, okay, they expect, you know, I'm going to seduce you. We're going to fall in love. And then they're going to kidnap me and get you to do basically what they want you to do. They could He could have said, all right, let's pretend. And then it had it, had it go that way. Like, not sure. have it, like, go, you know, where they actually fall in love in the span of four hours. Like, have them, you could even, you could hint at a little bit, like, oh, maybe there's something there. But you don't have to go full tilt with it. And then later in the movie as the movie's going on maybe you know as as they have random conversations over the phone or whatever maybe that's when he starts to realize slowly or maybe he doesn't ever maybe he just wants to bang her and then they bang at the end and the credits roll who knows (laughs) i mean when you cut at the end of the movie to cambodia where she's working at that shelter and jason statham just silently is standing there staring at her i'm like they want us to feel something and I feel nothing whatsoever. <laughs> they also want you to be shocked that he's still alive. <laughs> Which I was like, all right, where's the part where he comes back? Come on, come on. <laughs> I was I was reading online uh, someone's review um, because they had an idea of how this film would be better. And that would be that Michelle Yeoh's character is the one who is captured. And it's Jason Statham has to take Jessica Alba with him to do these missions. So then they get to build the relationship throughout the film. And then you get sort of the romantic payoff at the end as a way you sort of earn it that way. Sure. Okay. And I think that would have been better a better use of everyone, really. Yeah. I, w- I would have loved to see Jessica Alba go undercover in the prison with a tattoo on her face, too. <laughs> Posing mm. as a sexual predator? That was odd. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that dice tattoo. <laughs> oh. Yeah, those are my most negative things. I there, I've got another one, but I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll leave it to to you. Well, I I think we we've set it up. Then I need to talk about Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, I it's I set it at the top. You don't hire one of the best sort of martial art film stars. Now that's not all she's here for. Of course, she's done you know plenty of sort of straight acting work as well. She's been fantastic in that, and now she is an Oscar winning actor finally. 
but and this was not the height of her career around this time. She wasn't doing. I was looking on her IMDb. She wasn't doing a whole bunch of good work. And she spoke about this leading up to the, you know, where she was nominated for the Oscar about how Hollywood wasn't really giving her parts. This is, I, I think probably the film she points to, when she goes, yeah, this is a, a rough time. It was Mechanic Resurrection. Thank you for that. <laughs> you get her in a film, and she's got the pedigree, and she doesn't throw one single punch. I know. What is this? Why, why, unless like she lives on that sort of general vicinity of the island they shot that on, and she's like, oh yeah, I guess I could come down to set for a couple of days, then maybe I get it. But you know, they have a whole like team of people infiltrating the island, fighting Jason Statham. They couldn't have her come out and like throw a few punches, and then get hit or something like that. Like, just give us some bit of Michelle Yeoh kicking some butt, because no one, none of the women really get any time in this film, even. The, the female at the start who gets like a table thrown in her face. Yeah. Every woman in this film gets completely steamrolled or is just a a sort of side character that will just take attention away for five minutes. And that's a real shame when you have someone like Michelle Yeoh in your film. Well, and I mean, kind of related, but like the filmmakers were patting themselves on the back for like giving Jessica Alba action moments after she'd been captured where she like, you know, kicks people in the nuts and whatever else. But I'm like... I don't know. She's still basically just a damsel in distress in this movie. Like, don't give yourself any points for writing that character that way. Um, and yeah, Michelle Yeoh, it's inexplicable. I think it's just entirely like she was not being valued for what she brought to films at this point in time. We are, I guess, what, one year away from Star Trek Discovery, which was mm -hmm. a bit of a boost for her. And then Crazy Rich Asians, I think maybe a year and a half, two years after that show started. So it's like... The Michelle Yeoh renaissance is about a year away from starting, and mm -hmm. this is just kind of that... I mean, look, Michael Caine is a beloved actor nowadays. This is kind of her bullet to Beijing moment. Her Jaws 4? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Do you guys think... Do You, you know what this actually... Uh, two things. I thought, number one, they were actually going to just kill her at the beginning mm. and cause yeah. Statham to want revenge even more. And number two... Um, this reminded me so much, and it's a movie you guys covered, but it reminded me so much the casting, uh, the whole casting idea of like in uh, the Avengers when they cast Eddie Izzard as a character who doesn't talk. Yeah, it's like why, <laughs> why do you do that? I have no idea. Yeah, that is a weird choice. Someone who's a comedian and is genuinely funny and nothing. It's like this: someone who is uh, an incredible martial artist as well as an actor, and you have them not throwing a punch like you said it's just it's mind-boggling my guess is now that i think about this the mechanic movies do very well internationally and my guess is they had a small role in this screenplay they could meet michelle Yeoh's quote to get her to show up for like a few days mm -hmm. and they did that because they knew that they could slap her name on that poster and market it in china and other countries where she's really appreciated you know what that makes a lot of sense actually it's a cynical answer, but it's probably correct. Yeah. Uh, well, Cam, I'll throw it to you. I, I had my big, uh, my big speech. What was something you didn't like? The villains in this movie suck. And if you're going to make an action movie, give me a memorable villain. I mean, Ben Foster is like kind of the villain of the previous movie, sort of. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. At least he's memorable. This movie, you have this actor, Sam Hazeldine, playing Crane. And Crane is this character who, like Jason Statham, was a child soldier orphan, and he didn't escape. 
this guy is perhaps the most generic villain among the most generic villains we've ever tackled on Spy Hard's podcast where I'm like, when I sat down to watch this movie, my memory was that Tommy Lee Jones was the villain. Mm. And then it was like, oh, who is this guy again? And you sit through the whole thing and he's so boring. He has a henchman who's also incredibly boring who there's like a setup for the henchman's death where you're like, is he dead? He was like diving away from a grenade and then we just never see him again. So I guess he's gone. It's really sad when the most memorable kind of like standout villain. I actually thought the woman at the start who gets the table to the face was actually pretty memorable. Um, but there's when Jason Statham goes to the prison, there's the warlord. Warlord himself, meh, he's, he's fine. But there's the guy that's going to assassinate the warlord who has like a fake arm and he pulls off the hand and has a knife underneath, like built into the arm. And I'm like, that's pretty cool and memorable. That mm-hmm. character should have been a henchman in this movie. Yeah, well, and like Tommy Lee Jones, too, like you said, he should have been the villain. That look, that personality, like how how much would he have elevated this with, because you know he would have hammed it up if he needed to, mm-hmm. and he would have been in way more of the movie. It just would have been, yeah, that guy was, that, you're right, that guy that they had was like, I don't even remember one thing about him, just that he existed. And his death scene was so lame. Oh, like, yeah. If you're going to build up for like 90 minutes that Jason Statham has done these like pretty impressive, cool kills through the movie. There's a number of them that are pretty memorable. And then it's like a guy chained up in chains and a bomb going off. I'm like, whatever. I wrote down in my notes that he is a wet flannel. Oh, okay. Yeah, that about sums it up. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen this actor in anything, or perhaps I've seen him in dozens of things, and he is just such va- such a vapor that I forget about him. The t- you know, the moment the movie's over. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I his face didn't look familiar whatsoever. No. Um, can I ask you guys a question? Since you've seen the first one, mm-hmm. has has Statham's character always been MacGyver? Yes, that is an element yeah. of the character that he plots out his assassinations so that they will not be recognized as assassinations. So he has like this understanding of chemistry and tactics where he will break it down and come up with these very convoluted ways of someone dying where he can walk away completely invisible. So that is carried over from the previous movies. I mean, this movie gets so outlandish that I was just trying to, you know, picture Charles Bronson in the same scenario. (laughs) And I don't think that would work. But uh, yeah, that is a thing. I, I want to see uh, Charles Bronson like frantically rubbing himself down with shark repellent. <laughs> okay. Can I just throw this one out uh, as a bonus dislike? You have characters smothering themselves in shark repellent. There is not a single goddamn shark in this movie. Like that's There is insane. a fin in the background. You can see a shark. There is oh, a fin. Oh, whatever. Okay. Whatever. I mean, if you're going to like keep bringing up the prospect that there are sharks out there and characters need to wear shark repellent, there better be a shark in the movie. And I found an interview with the director, one of the ones I read, where they talked about the most difficult action scene, and he talked about the boat. And he said, we had actors falling off the boat into the water, and it was shark-infested water. And I'm like, boy, is that invisible on screen. You better do something with a shark, damn it. Maybe that's that's probably why he wanted to do the Meg after this. He was like, I want all shark. Yeah, he over-delivered. Mm. <laughs> But okay, so the reason I asked about the MacGyver stuff too, it's like, um, so is like, so he's, is his nickname supposed to be the mechanic? No, it's like the it's like a job. Like people will also like call it cleaners in films, or they paint houses. That's just this universe's name for hired assassin. 
Okay, because I thought maybe that's why he was called a mechanic, is because he was, like, putting these little, like, kill plans together. It's kind of that, but it's basically, it just means hired assassin. But it, this film seems to have lost the, because one of the functions of being a mechanic is to do it covertly, <laughs> for it to seem like an accident. There is nothing covert about any of his kills. The first guy, you know, I mean, obviously it can't be blamed on him. He's managed to do it. So it's not like there's no eyes on him, but they don't look like accidents. No, I don't think any of them do. The warlord one is just kind of confusing because he like, well, he, he would be clearly strangled to death in the postmortem. Yes, thank you. I wrote that down, too, because he strangles him enough to knock him out and then puts like drugs down his throat yeah. or something to to make it look like or to make it look like he OD'd. But yeah, I wrote down that too. It's like wouldn't they see the marks around his neck though? Mm-hmm. And also <laughs> the escape was really over the top where he's like blowing a hole in the side of the prison right. with like C4 and diving off and doing a swan dive. Like they're going to remember who that was. Great form though, guys. Great form. I mean, oh, I, and I'll just—it's yeah. it, a callback that Brendan won't get, and I apologize for that. But it was nice to see another prison escape after the Macintosh Man. And of the two, I think I prefer this one. Oh, okay, that's <laughs> fair. Uh, and I think didn't Jason say them do like a swan dive at the start of the first mechanic? He does. He does a quite a few dives. He's—he's you know—he's a wasn't he like a professional diver when he was in the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think genuinely he he actually was like a like a die and isn't like and and this his character that he plays is like an expert at everything yeah like yeah. he's james bond diving fighting bomb like <laughs> like bombs <laughs> yeah and and you know madly falling in love with jessica alba apparently he's very good at that too yeah very difficult to do well, very difficult to that's do. that's true she's got all that uh <laughs> what, what's the name of that company cam is she now rich for honest corporation Oh, she's getting all that honest dollar. Yeah. Hmm. Well, before we get to the knock list, we're just going to throw out to any final notes, any final questions, any final remarks that we have. Uh, I'll start us off. There's three kills in this film. The last one's a bit of a switcheroo, but it still happens. What's the best of the three assassinations? What's your favorite of the bunch? Oh, that's easy. I think I already said. I'd say the pool. Yeah, the pool. Not even close. Yeah, the pool stands out. Yeah. I don't know, the, the guy in the boat, I suppose, getting blown to smithereens is cool. I, I was hoping something cooler would happen with, like, the anchor that he's wrapped around, but it's not really used. Why, why did he let Tommy Lee Jones live? Well, okay, they established it like Tommy Lee Jones is apparently a moral <laughs> arms dealer. Mm. <laughs> right, that was weird. I all, I, I kind of saw it as like, oh, oh, the movie's like, oh, wait, this is the one actor everyone recognizes. Let's make, let's spare him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I don't think I can argue with either. I think it's a swimming pool. Uh, Brendan, any sort of final notes or questions? Um, there's one moment that I just want to mention real quick that I thought was kind of borderline uncomfortable. When Jessica Alba arrives on the island and she goes up to see Michelle Yeoh for the first time, mm. and Michelle Yeoh is saying, like, you know, oh, hey, how can I help you? And she's like, oh, good, you speak English. <laughs> I thought that was a bit weird. I didn't catch that. It does. It does happen. There's actually a moment that's, uh, that adds to that sort of ick factor. I think when the Michelle Yeoh is treating her wounds from her abuse, mm-hmm. and she starts talking about like her father's mysticism and the magic potions that she would put on him, and I'm like, oh come on. Oh, and they said that Arthur Bishop Statham's character trained with her father. Yeah, it's like, oh god, right. <laughs> Please don't bring this back if they ever do a third one. 
Um, I think the other thing I wanted to mention, besides the great explosion at the end and the very weird Tommy Lee Jones ending, mm-hmm. um, is there is a moment. <laughs> there's it's the laziest part of the entire movie to me. It's like they clearly ADR'd it, the line in because they didn't think people would get would understand what's going on. But after Statham's killed, I think the second person, a very like mumbly line ADR'd in where he's like, "Oh, they're using me to. He's using me to take out his competition." Like it's just in the background <laughs> of the scene, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, like we got it." <laughs> it's. I think that's also like indicative of the whole movie, like as a general thing, like just over-explaining and like dumbing it down as much as possible. But that stuck out to me. It's like it's very hard to explain why Tommy Lee Jones is like a hero in this movie. Like they throw out this bizarre line about being a moral arms dealer, and I'm like. I don't understand. I don't understand what this means. Like, it's just tossed off in, like, two lines of dialogue. He says he says they've called me a fascist, a racist, and a communist. And he's like, well, I'm not a communist. So he's either a fascist or a racist? <laughs> like, or both. <laughs> or both. <laughs> and, and he also has, like, nuclear submarines that are armed, by the way, that yeah. he has access to. This isn't the guy you want to keep around. No. Do you think it was a setup for Mechanic 3? Me- mechanic re re resurrection. <laughs> no, it, I've got it. It's three canic. Right. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Would it have a three in the title? Absolutely. The, three? the E in Perfect. mechanic is a three. It's... Oh, well, that's it. That's all you need. Yeah. It's like Megan. <laughs> yeah. Or or taken. Tack three in. I love. I love just like reading them as you would actually read them. Like methrinkinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> It is only. Uh, that actually did lead me to my other question. Is I know obviously we haven't had one yet, and it's been over six years since the last one came out. Are we ever going to see another mechanic with Statham in it? No, I'm going to say no. I don't think so. I I don't think so. I think we do get another mechanic remake though, maybe one day, like a director streaming movie or something like that. That's a bit more of a gritty thriller. Maybe if they use the original plot where it's about two, you know homosexual assassins yeah i think that would be uh, actually a really fascinating character study if they did it right wait the original plot has what sorry so the original premise of the original script was it's uh basically two assassins um one is teaching a, a younger one but there's a sort of homoeroticism between the two of them they are lovers but they uh end up the younger one ends up being tasked with killing the older one the arthur bishop of it all and uh it's about like them dealing with their love of each other but also the mission they have to deal with and coming to terms with that i think it's quite interesting but because it was the 70s they couldn't shoot that oh the oh they didn't actually okay no they rewrote it to erase that element but like if you watch the movie you can see that Mm -hmm. gurgling just underneath the surface of the movie because i'm also like when you said that i was like was charles bronson all right with that <laughs> well exactly yeah i don't think charles bronson would have signed on in those days or or jan michael vincent either to yeah. be fair yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a real uh, it's a real spartacus thing right with uh i think like what um kirk douglas not not realizing the subtext and if he yes. had kubrick would have probably had to shut down the movie <laughs> exactly yes yeah uh cam any sort of final notes from you well, this is a spy movie podcast, and this movie um, pays homage or rips off a lot of moments from spy movies. Mm-hmm. You have, in the scene with the pool, it's very, at points, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol with the mm-hmm. Burj Khalifa climb, yeah. only like it's a lot of close-ups, <laughs> so 
so it doesn't yeah. actually look like he's on the the building. But it has a very similar setup, and the way it's just shot reminded me a lot of that moment. Also, this has Jason Statham walking out of the water a la Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. Mm -hmm. That really jumped out at me. I bet it did. Because, like, that was a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been, I guess, is that the way they celebrated the 10th anniversary of Casino Royale was to have Jason Statham evoke Daniel Craig in Mechanic Resurrection? Wait, what jumped out at you? I don't know, Scott. <laughs> no comment. Not sharks, that's for sure. Well, uh, yeah, that is for sure. And I mentioned one earlier, but you get a uh, Jason Statham fighting on top of a gondola. That's very Moonraker. Yep. And you also get some Jason Statham like swimming away into the darkness, which is very Jason Bourne. Hmm. It's a Bond on a budget. Not spy related, but the there's like this bizarre scene of just Jessica Alba swimming underwater in a blue bikini for a prolonged period. What was that? What was that? That to me felt like a cut scene from the movie Into the Blue that she did, where, like, that whole movie was sold as, like, Jessica Alba in a blue bikini swimming underwater. I mean, I, th- I, I, when that happened, I was just like, they, they just barely didn't meet their quota for Jessica Alba in a bikini and shots, and the studio was like, we need, uh, we need seven more seconds of it, and that's what they got. Yeah. Like, the moment where, like, Jason Statham's walking, or watching her walk into the water... And then she does like the dive and the camera is very clearly trained on um, one part of her body as she's doing the dive. Mm-hmm. You're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, I get it. It's pretty blatant. <laughs> it is. Well, I think it's time we took a seat in the Semtex chair and talk about the knock list. All right. <laughs> Brendan, you're up first. The first vote goes to you, of course. Yes or no? Is Mechanic Resurrection making the knock list, the list of the need-to-see spy films of all time? This is a very difficult uh, decision to make. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't envy I, the pressure. I, I don't envy the pressure. A lot of responsibility. Reams of just notebooks filled with pros and cons on this one. I can see the um, sweat dripping off of your head. Well, you probably can because it's <laughs> very, very hot. <laughs> um <laughs> No, absolutely not. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't go on the knock list. I um yeah, no, it's it no, must see spy movie. No. If you want to see uh, this, you can probably just watch the first one and I'm sure that one didn't go on the knock list either. Um uh, and it's a bunch of nothing. If you want to watch, watch a really good Jason Statham movie, watch one of the early uh Guy Ritchie movies or something. I have a question for you, Brandon. Yeah. Which is better, this movie or Jackal? Oh. Hmm. I think. Oh man, I think I enjoyed Jackal more just because it was more funny, stupid. Mm-hmm. Like there were more parts that were like, "This is ridiculous." Like you know, Bruce Willis talking to his computer and Richard Gere's accent and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're coming back to me now. <laughs> yeah, I think on that level, I probably enjoyed watching the Jackal more. But um, this is obviously, I think, a, a more competently made movie. Uh, so on a technical level, I guess this is better. But what would I watch again? Probably the Jackal. Okay, that's good to know. I want to have that answer out there because I think a lot of people have been debating this for you know a long time now, since 2016. Yeah. So it's a long, it's a long debate. Again, like you said, film Twitter just eating this one up. Mm. Yeah, Mechanic Resurrection backwards, and what was better, this or Jackal? <laughs> I'm glad we put it to bed. I'm glad. <laughs> well, that's one no. Cam, the question goes to you. 
the answer is a big no for me. This is in no way like a uh, disavowed movie. This is just no. like trash can action that uh, if you watch it maybe at 11 o'clock on like a uh, Friday night when you're really, really bored, you might be like, yeah, yeah, that was kind of fun to sit through. But beyond that, I have nothing to say really to recommend it. And I'm still annoyed at the lack of sharks. You clearly are. Okay. Two no's. As such, my vote doesn't count for anything. I kind of gave it away at the start. In fact, I did give it away at the start. It's a no. A no way. There is no resurrecting this film. It is dead on arrival, unfortunately. But there is still some fun to be had with it. And I think in terms of a 90-minute action film, I think 60 minutes of it, maybe 50 minutes of it are pretty good. And yeah, as Cam said, 11 p.m. on a Friday, you've had a few brewskis and you're feeling a bit of a buzz. You wipe on your shark repellent and stick on Mechanic Resurrection, you might have a nice time. Scott, what would you rather watch if you were like super bored and these are your only two options? Is it Jackal or Mechanic Resurrection? <laughs> no, 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 no. We've settled that one. Don't take my answer. <laughs> 2011 Mechanic or Mechanic Resurrection? Mechanic Resurrection. I'm kind of in the same boat. Yeah, I'd rather the sort of like fun nothing burger of a film that's just like, oh, interesting. Oh, that's funny. Oh, he's diving onto a hang glider. Instead of Jason Statham trying to do a gritty Hitman thriller. Like a bad gritty movie. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was going to ask you guys about that too, actually. So you think the sequel's more fun to watch than the original one? I think the original, not the uh, Charles Bronson, the Jason Statham original <laughs> is a better film. Yeah. Okay. But what would I rather watch? I'd rather watch the trash. Yeah. Yeah. It's also shorter. That's true. The 2011 one is just a entirely disposable, gritty kind of action drama. Yeah. That's not particularly interesting versus this movie, which is probably worse in some ways, but is so bizarre at points that at least it rises above that kind of tedium of the 2011 movie. Now, may I ask you guys a question that is just solely for my own entertainment? Go ahead. <laughs> Would you rather watch this again or Replicas? Oh, tying it all together. <laughs> I would choose Mechanic Resurrection. I would choose Mechanic Resurrection. It's a fair, fair, honest answer. But if it was hanging out with you and talking about Replicas or watching Mechanic Resurrection, now that's a different story. Because it's still Mechanic Resurrection, sorry. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> but th <sighs> that does sort of, you know, tie us up beautifully. It's three no's. As such, Mechanic Resurrection is not making the knocklist. The dossier on the film is complete and filed as classified. That wraps us up for the Mechanic Trilogy. Will we get a fourth film? Maybe one day down the road. But that's our time done with Arthur Bishop. But over to you, Brendan. I mentioned your show off top of our show. What were they thinking? And I recommend everyone goes and checks that out. We'll have links in the show notes below as well. But what have you got coming up on the show? Well, um, either on now or, or coming up very soon, uh, I'm very excited because we'll be talking about one of the sexiest movies oh. of all time. It would be uh, a 90s gem Exit to Eden, starring the very sexy Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell. Mm -hmm. I, I have no knowledge of this film, and it sounds like that's a good thing. It, um, it, it prominently features Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell as the stars on the poster, but they're really not. It's these two other actors that uh, their names escape me right now, so that's how 
big <laughs> big names they are um and i can a- actually say it was paul mercurio and dana delaney <laughs> there you go <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> it takes place at like a uh like a bdsm like summer camp essentially and it's uh it's it's not sexy that's the twist it's <laughs> it's not it's really uh it's a really bad movie but you can hear us talk all about it coming up soon Nice. And that was actually the the male lead of Strictly Ballroom. That was like his follow-up. Oh, ah. to, to, to Exit <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. You should go and check that episode out. We will have links in the show notes below. And Brendan, where can people find you online? Uh, we are on uh, we are on Facebook. You can just search for us. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at WWTT Podcast. Um, we are on the Age of Radio uh, website, ageofradio.org, if you want to find us there. And uh, just a quick plug as well, I also have another podcast called For Screen and Country. Um, we were talking actually about the uh, the top 100 British movies of all time, according to the BFI, for the longest time. Mm-hmm. But we've moved on, and we're currently a war movie podcast, so we're mm-hmm. talking about um, another list uh, over on Paste Magazine, the 100 greatest war movies of all time. And because we don't uh, like staying on task, there'll be lots of side uh, side hustles and such as well. And you can find that one at fsac pod on uh, twitter and we're on facebook and also on age of radio and you can find both podcasts on you know any podcast app just search for us we'll have links in that in the show notes below have you tackled where eagles dare yet on the show no but that is on the agenda that is that is coming up at some point is it is it bad it's wonderful yeah give us a call (laughs) okay Oh, you guys want to talk about it again? Oh, we love we love that film. Yeah, okay. Well, with a passion, go. with a passion. Doesn't but Michael they... Caine play a Nazi? No, that's 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 the eagle has landed. A very that's a that's a close one. This this is uh, uh, Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton. Oh, sorry, which one were you saying again? <laughs> Where eagles dare? Oh yes, no, that is actually on the list, I believe. Yeah, it should be. I think the eagle has landed is one that we are also doing though. We've done both, and they're both interesting films. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, definitely worth checking out. But there you go, folks. All the information in the show notes below. Brendan, again, I want to thank you for joining us for the second time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It was a blast. Well, Cam, over to you. What have we got coming up next week? Scott, I'm going to be on vacation in Europe. And so our programming is going to change up a little bit for the month of September. We are actually going to give listeners a preview of an episode of Agents in the Field. These are typically behind the paywall on our Patreon. But next week, you are going to be treated to our review of 1963's The Pink Panther, starring Peter Sellers and David Niven. And I know that people really dug our coverage on the main feed of The Pink Panther Strikes Again, and I think you'll enjoy this coverage as well. Yeah, I'd actually never watched the film until that point we recorded this episode so it's actually a a revelation for me going back and seeing the uh, origins of the peter sellers inspector clouseau character because he wasn't the main character of the series it was more david niven was the guy they sort of pitched for it it's an interesting film and a hilarious film as well if you never checked it out so strap yourself in folks your mission should you choose to accept it is to join us next week as we take a look at the pink panther and if you'd like what you heard on this episode please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you're listening and don't forget to follow us discreetly as always on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next time listeners brendan cam and i are all off to go and watch mechanic resurrection 
in reverse.